you know, for us, especially five to ten years ago, mental health and preserving one's mental health wasn't a wasn't really a focus. <laughs> but now it is something that's highlighted more. And I'm like, you know, saying no is way saying no to jobs is actually way better um, because you one, it saves you on your energy so that you can't have the energy for the job that you actually want. Yeah. But then um, but then the other part is sometimes it saves you from experiencing relationships that you don't need to have. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. As photographers, having vision is a key part of our job. We pay attention to our surroundings and even create scenarios with our imagination. And some of us are able to craft a vision of how we view ourselves as photographers. And that's the superpower right there. Who is our audience? Who are our target clients? Knowing the answers to these questions helps us understand who to contact to get the work and the clients that we want. Our guest in this episode identified his targets early. He created marketing strategies to reach that audience. And as he grew and evolved as a photographer, his targets changed. His marketing strategies have led him to the world of television and movies. He is an entertainment and motion picture campaign still photographer. He specializes in key art and large-scale entertainment campaign work. He's photographed for series such as Kaleidoscope, My Next Guest with David Letterman, Wildin' Out, and several Netflix comedy specials. His client list includes Netflix, NBC, Stars, Viacom, CBS and MGM Plus. Clifton Prescott, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? I'm feeling great. I'm honored to be here. It's been a uh, it's been a journey to to watch your watch the podcast uh, grow since we first talked about it, and then now now I'm honored to even be a guest on here. Absolutely, man. It's crazy because uh, we met about two years ago, right? And um. It's mm-hmm. taking this long to get you on a on a, on an episode, but you know I believe everything happens when it's supposed to. So, uh, oh yeah, it's, pro- it's proper timing, proper timing. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So, Cliff, man, tell us uh, what kind of work do you do? So I I am a motion picture and entertainment still photographer. Um. I like to add campaign photographer in there, but yes, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an entertainment and motion picture, you know, campaign still photographer. Um, so I'm I'm in what many know as, or what few know as, the local 600, which is the cinematographers union, and I'm I'm under the uh, still photographer designation. And then I also, um, outside of that, I also um, conduct. Uh, large large scale campaigns for various different brands. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So, 
Um, definitely want to hear about how you interweave both of those worlds together. You know what I mean? Um, um, but tell us, like, where are you calling from? I'm from Edison, New Jersey, uh, which is a uh, suburban town in uh, central Jersey. And, um, you know, growing up, I was always, I was a soccer player. I always felt like I was going to be a soccer player. And uh, that was my main journey. Went to college, NJIT in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and went to study. Um, originally, it was architecture, then it became industrial design and business marketing. And I was like, you know, I'm studying all this, but it don't matter because I'm gonna be a photographer. I'm gonna be a. Uh, I'm gonna be a, a soccer player anyway. And those soccer dreams didn't come true. <laughs> um, you know, I like to say it's because of injury, uh, but. Yeah, they didn't, you know, it didn't happen. Um, but while I was in college, you know, I had a hobby of photography and I picked up my first like real camera, um, real camera, like maybe 2005, which was sophomore year of high school. And, uh, my dad, he was a, he's a tech guy and we always like used to have like the first thing, like whenever it came out. And I think, I don't know if it was 2005 exactly, but I just remember like we were one of the first like on the block to have uh, DSLRs, and my my dad would like bring it to my soccer games, and he would like photograph me playing, and then when we went to soccer games elsewhere, he would uh, I would photograph like you know we had season tickets to um, to the Metro Stars, uh, now known as the Red Bulls games in Giant Stadium. Mm -hmm. And I, w I would bring the camera to go, you know, photograph the players as uh, I was as I was sitting in the stands. And then sometimes we would get access to like special games, and I would photograph like Ronaldinho and and all the old legends in the soccer world. And um, so that was my first exposure to like photographing folks and whatnot. And um, and then freshman year of college either freshman year of college or, or senior, like just ending my senior high school, I had a, a friend of mine who was like really into modeling and such. And she was like, Hey, like we should, let's take some photos. And I took some photos of her in my house and it eventually got her like the photos, like I gave it to her and then the photos eventually got her signed to an agency like shortly after. Wow. And she was like, she was like, yo, like you should do this. Yeah. And I was like, She's like, yo, let's do a photo shoot. Like, let's let's actually do a real photo shoot, and um, and we did. And the thing is, is she brought her mom. Her mom was doing her hair and makeup. It was a whole production, and that joint was eight hours long. I was like, yo, I don't. I'm like, yo, I hate photography. I don't want to do it no more. This is crazy. Eight hours. Um, yeah, it was eight hours. Like, it was a lot. You know, I I knew nothing of that world. Um, you know, doing conducting photo shoots and such, and and they knew all about it and made and made the most of it, <laughs> having me around. And um, but that was my first taste. And then after I photographed her that second time, more people from around town started like asking me to do photo shoots because they saw what we did. And then. Um, I want to say this is maybe like 2009 mm -hmm. and or 2008, 2009. And people were asking me and I was starting to charge. Um, 
and I was just charging based off of whatever I needed, right? I'm a college kid. What was some of your early early rates, man? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was like $75 for like, you know, five looks. <laughs> eight hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> eight hour, another eight hours. Um, wow. I think I did. I think I did cut it down, like the the whole spending time thing. I was like, oh, I can't do it for that long. We're gonna do this quick. But like, I did spend. I did, at that time, I spent a lot more time with them, and then I also did it for way less. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seventy seventy five dollars for a whole session. That was great for a nineteen year old kid who doesn't oh, yeah. like. I wasn't. I wasn't working in college, so I, I never really had a job. So after college, like my dad was like, he did not want me to work. He just wanted me to focus on school and soccer. He's like, anything else you can, I'll take care of that for you. Oh, wow. So it, there's pros and cons to that, obviously. But, you know, because of that, it taught me how to, like, get my own money and yeah. hustle and be an entrepreneur or, or self-employed. So that's really interesting, um, man. Like hearing yeah. hearing um, how your your pops approach, uh, approach things uh, when he, as he was raising you. You know, yeah. um, him being a techie and, and sort of like having the latest technology and then also just the way he wanted you to focus in school, like keep you like a, a narrow focus. That's really interesting, man. Um, I wonder, can you describe your upbringing? Like what was life like for you growing up in, in your home? Yeah. So for me, um, growing up, I mean, I grew up in a pretty much grew up in a two parent household. Um, my mom was. You know, my both my parents, you know, believed in God and, um, and you know, instilled that in me and such. And pretty, and I would, you know, I would attend uh, church every Sunday for my whole life. Um, and, and I think I, 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 not, I don't think I know. I, I definitely appreciate that upbringing because there's just certain principles that you know one learns whether it's being christian whether it's jewish muslim anything else i think when 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 one goes up in a in a in a certain environment where you have like an elder or somebody speaking to you and imparting wisdom and life you know life lessons to you uh whether you know uh, of course i was a child growing up in it but i think i i even like soaked that in even as a child. And then when I started getting older, I started understanding these principles and such. And then it's like, it, I think it empowers a child as well um, to hear that outside of their own household, right? Like your parents can tell you how great you are and that you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. But then it's like, when you have somebody else speaking into your life, it's 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 just that extra bit of bolstering to 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 one's mind, right? So I think I, I had that. I had a lot of that growing up. Um, my mom, she also, you know, she she and her sisters created a company called Leadership 2000 and Beyond. And they put on like one of the earlier, um, they had one of the earlier modern um, leadership conferences in like 1999 and 2000 and such. And at that time, it, it was just a dream for them, and they actually pulled it off. And what they did, they brought, like, 
eight world leaders to their conferences and you know charged a, a charge the rate like made sure to charge whatever they needed to charge to cover mm-hmm. each of these each of these leaders um you know speaking rates and then and then they were like it was like i don't know if you're familiar but it was before chick-fil-a had their leadership conferences and if you know anything about chick-fil-a like they have they have pretty fire leadership conferences but like all of that was like precursor to these you know conferences like uh um afrotech and culture con and all that so it was like as a as a as an eight nine ten year old or whatever age i was at that time i think it was 10 yeah 10 and 11 year old at that time i would have like leaders like world leaders like sitting in my living room you know chatting it up and chilling and having dinner with me and my family like after we were uh after they finished the job or whatever after they finished the conference so i had i think i had like i, I had at times i would have like a very normal or or i shouldn't say no because it's what is normal but i think i had a very um i guess conventional upbringing but then there's these moments where it's just like yo like I really had some people in my corner and I was really soaking in information that is helping me out to this day. I mean, I think what's really interesting about that is that it sounds like your mother has an entrepreneurial spirit to be able to <laughs> pull, pull that, the, 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 the scale of conference off, to be able to right. do that and then have like some of these speakers at your house just chopping it up over dinner. You know, I think right. your mom was on to something. So I think, you know, um, you know, I have a eight year old and uh he watches everything we do. Right? So Absolutely. you know, whether we are conscious of it or not, as parents, he's soaking up all of our actions. He sees us whenever we're working early morning or working during the day or working late at night or on the weekends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, my hope is that, you know, I'm able to balance my time so he doesn't only see me working, but also that he sees what it takes to uh go after your dreams right whatever they are right. however they look yeah um and it seems like you 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 were able to get some of that from your mom as well absolutely i think uh, I, I just i just um i heard some type of like recent quote recently and they're like you know parents one day your kids are gonna find you out <laughs> like they're going to right exactly right how crazy is that i, I don't even have kids yet but that hit me because it's like uh, and the person said he was like, "Yo, one day your kids are gonna find you out, and then they're gonna be like, "Yo, my dad would always tell me that I could do anything I put my mind to." And then um, he's like, "So, it, not even that." He said, "My my son came up to me and said, "Yo, dad, you you always told me I can do anything I put my mind to, and I can be an entrepreneur and, and self self employed and blah blah blah." He's like, and he's like, "Well, how come you don't do it, dad?" Uh-huh. And that was crazy to me because it's like, yeah, we really have to understand the example that we're setting forth. Like, and I don't know, there's, there's, there's certain communities where it's like, it's all about, we we tell, we talk about generational wealth and we talk about um, self-empowerment, but how many are actually truly living it out where their where their kids can can actually see that understand it and realize like yo my like my parents are actually doing the thing that they're talking about and i feel i feel empowered to do that as well 
So I did, I think I did have a really good upbringing, even between my mom and my dad, because even though my, my dad, they both like worked salary jobs, um, everything that they did on the side was like major, like, um, not to go off on a tangent, but it's like my dad, like I joined, I played soccer since I was six years old. My dad didn't like soccer. He was into football, American football. And, um, but I was into soccer and whatever I got into, like my dad made sure he was going to get into as well for me. And he eventually went from being a parent on the sideline to then becoming a coach and then being a coach then being from being a coach to a division director and then from division director he became the vp and then from the vp he became the president of the whole soccer association <laughs> like like again this is somebody who didn't care about soccer but, but he, he was cared so about you he cared about you he cared about he cared about me and then he eventually came to love it so much and it was like so much so that like we have a personal relationship with the folks at you know, the Metro Stars and now the Red Bulls because of the work that he did, you know, those uh, over 20 years ago, wow. you know? So it's like, it's, it's just, again, it's just like, it's one of those things where, yeah, like your child, like seeing that example, like I think about his rise in the soccer world and I'm like, yo, like I need to go after my dreams in the same way, like with the same fervor and the same uh -huh. uh, excitement because um, he just proved to me that, first of all, you, you don't have to know it all to, 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 to be successful. Like he just is very good at relationship management, mm -hmm. and he he studied the craft, whatever the craft was, he studied it. And you know what? My, my dad would he, he would often be like in the basement, like when it was time for me to go to sleep, he would go downstairs and study and such. Is that the best thing all the time? Probably not, you know, because obviously, you know, you don't want to burn the, the candlework at both ends. But like he, he, I remember growing up that he would do that, but then he would always make time for me yeah. as well as, as a father. So just seeing those examples, um, you know, was great for me growing up. Uh, and then the same thing for my mom. Like she did the same exact thing in her own way. Mm -hmm and her own and her own approach and especially in the spiritual way but she did the same exact thing for me so i, I you know to answer your question after all those minutes yes my uh <laughs> that is my my that was my upbringing as a, as a child <laughs> all right so, so that's that's really interesting man I, I, and i love to hear it um you know i i feel like i adopt a very similar principle when it comes to you know raising my son like i i started out taking him to the skate park he's into skateboarding and i know yeah yeah right and um eventually you know first i was taking pictures and video with my phone and then i'm i'm sitting there like yo fam you got a camera like <laughs> make, go make real pictures man and mm -hmm. not saying like mm -hmm. mobile phones aren't real but you know i know that i could have elevated what i was doing and then i just started to enjoy being at the skate park with him documenting these moments and now I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm there with him all the time with the camera taking pictures of his skate buddies that you know he, he's becoming friends with and yeah. now i just feel like it's just an ongoing project and i'm going to support whatever he does and i'm gonna be there with my camera supporting you know so this i way love that i yeah, love it because you know otherwise like whatever 
whatever we sign our kids up for, we sign ourselves up for. So if I can turn <laughs> yep. his activities into an art project, right, something that I feel good about and, and be able to document, then for me that feels like it's a it's a win in many in, in many areas, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned you went to what NJIT and you were studying uh, business marketing. Yeah, so in the beginning, like I, I went for architecture and switched to industrial design, which is pretty much the design of anything and everything. Uh-huh. And uh, and then I went to business marketing as well, um, uh, and finished up with that. Yeah. So between the way your parents raised you, your mother with the entrepreneurial spirit, your father with the curious mind downstairs in the basement like learning research <laughs> everything yeah your business mm-hmm. marketing degree like yeah. how did you eventually like take all these different experiences and start to funnel it into a photography career right so um when i was in college uh while taking all the so yeah right like it's like i, I grew up with all this 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 um inherited information and knowledge and 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 observing all the you know the work ethics between both my parents and then while in college studying business marketing as well it's like i was trying to figure out okay i have i i want to be a soccer player but i have a hobby of photography that i want to make some money from while i'm in college and i just thought to myself why don't i just apply everything that i'm learning in college like directly to um, photography. And so like I would do the homework and then whatever my homework was, I was like, how can I just translate this to photography? And at the time, Facebook and MySpace was, was popular. (laughs) Right. Like, so I, I was using all of those platforms and, um, even even Instagram when that came out in 2011, like I was using those platforms and trying to apply everything that I was learning in school to those platforms, um, and it wasn't always the most like book um, or it wasn't really like always related to exactly what I was learning in the books, but it was just to me I guess it was so, it was like it was what's the word it was common common knowledge or, or or it was just me just trying to be creative about how to go about it and i remember i said okay i want to i want to work with models i want to work with you know good looking people because <laughs> this this was my thinking and it sounds it sounds bad but like i'm saying it in a much more simple way than what a lot of these brands are saying but this is exactly what they do uh-huh. i was like all right like i want to i need to target good looking people and work with them because good looking and popular people are going to attract every type of person. Like there's a, there's a reason why they put a model in clothes because they look good in the clothes and the way that they wear it and the way that they are styled is going to inspire all different types of people to, um, to wear the clothes and to, to have that lifestyle that's being portrayed in the ad. So I would, at the time, like I said, MySpace was out, and that was big. Um, I just started adding everybody in New Jersey who had whose whose profile picture on MySpace was a selfie or a mirror selfie, 
if you if you remember what the mirror selfies were and i was like yo like these i felt bad but i'm like these people are clearly full of themselves and love themselves so much that i'm like there's a high probability if they see that a photographer uh, a young photographer uh added them or wants to add them on myspace that they're that they're gonna add me mm-hmm. yeah and i'm gonna get hired <laughs> and it worked um and you know we all were part of that so i i'm not i'm not coming at them for for taking mirror selfies and doing the cool stuff but um because to this to this day a lot of those people that i reached out to are like some of my you know great friends um but yeah like i was targeting certain people and it eventually got to the point where i was one of the i became like one of the more popular photographers in new jersey um because of it you know like i was literally just targeting a whole bunch of college aged um popular and beautiful people at the time and i would offer photo shoots for like 50 dollars, sometimes for free depending on like if they were really popular and it worked out and it it introduced me um into the into the the next level of photography which was like the next level of fashion, the next level of photography in New York City. Like I thought I was popping because I was probably the best or the best or most popular photographer in New Jersey. And then one of my friends was like, "Yeah, but like do that in New York." And then like one and and my my thing is, I, I, it's not like I didn't know anything about New York. My mom's from Brooklyn. My dad's from Queens. I was always going to the city every weekend. So. I didn't really, but I just, I was going, I didn't really go thinking about photography whenever I went. So then when I went and I realized, wow, there's way more photographers than I thought there were mm-hmm. and they're better than, and they're all better than me. <laughs> um, it opened up my, you know, my world, but I think, you know, doing that work and becoming a big fish in a small pond in New Jersey uh, helped me out in terms of getting becoming like a household name or becoming popular to the point where um you can see that the marketing the the street marketing or whatever you want to call it you know the the strategic marketing that i was doing even at age 18 to 22 was working Mm. um and then even subtle things like and, and i'll say this in closing but it's like even subtle things like the old fashion ads that you would see from versace or Burberry or um, uh, like all those all those fashion brands they used to put their they used to put their logo all over the image um, and it used to just be splattered across and if people you know for people who like grew up and watched me do my thing since then I used to do photo shoots and I would just put my name, Clifton Prescott, in the middle of the photo. <laughs> like whatever, no matter what the frame was and how good it was, mm-hmm. I would just put my or put my name on it, and I would like put it in the same color or similar colors that you know whatever was portrayed in the, in the photo. But it worked because <clears throat> they would see like people would see their friend or whatever their family member, and then all of a sudden they would see like this name you know, by Clifton Prescott or whatever. And it that was like, that was huge because 
they also like I, I guess I've been told I have like a very <laughs> Caucasian name or something. <laughs> so they were like, you know, like, so like they everybody was like, yo, like who's this British cat? Like what's going? <laughs> you know, and Sir and Clifton. it worked out, Sir Clifton Triscuit, <laughs> and it and it worked though because it. I was literally just kind of copying what the what the major fashion brands were doing at the time and applied it to myself and it worked. And um <laughs> and uh I think that just is also just what helped in marketing my name, marketing me as an artist as well, aside from the from the actual art itself. Yo, that is that is really dope, man. And I remember. I want to get into that later, right? But I remember yeah. that you, you, you do something very interesting when it comes to marketing, right? Like mm-hmm. you mentioned that you started getting your first clients by just like following, you know, um, anybody who did this certain um, action, right? If people posted right, a right. selfie or a certain type of selfie. Those are the people you were like. That's who. That's who my my target is. That target is. That's who my market is. And right. you, you 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 know how to sort of narrow down what it is that you're looking for, who you're looking for, so that you can speak to yeah. them directly, right? And mm-hmm. so that was the first you know um, sign. And then just now mentioning, um, you know, you took a page from like these Italian fashion people who are making like ads all over the world and just like putting your name in there so now people start to associate you you and your name with this high-end fashion right yeah, it's a subliminal yeah. subliminal strategy right but these things absolutely you know, work for you man and i just think that's really genius man um and i don't know if anybody out there's you know if you go to his page his ig page like clifton is like a really really good marketer and <laughs> like I don't understand how you have that amount of energy because <laughs> I'd be, be exhausted scrolling through your page, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but what I really like, especially when we first met, was just that how you your personality is really big, you know, and your mm-hmm. your, your personality invites people into your space, you know what I mean, and right. um, and it's very welcoming, you know. Um, you and I, we first met back in 2021 on a yep, set of, right? yeah. on a set of uh, a Netflix series called Archive 81. And at the time, yep. at the time, we were both trying to get into the union. I think you had just got into the local 600 union uh, yeah. for stills and, and unit uh, TV. Um and I was trying to get in, and like 600 is such a crazy, it's such a uh, laborious task to try to get in. It's one of those things where to get into that union, to be able to be a photographer on a set of a, like a TV set or a movie set, you need to have something like 100 days of paid work on set, right? Now, the thing is... Yeah. In most cases, it's you. You can't you can't get onto a set unless you're in the union. So it's like, well, how do I get hours and days on a set if I can't get on set if I'm not in the union, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a really, really um, antiquated system. But we had 
been part of this um, this uh, mentorship program through Netflix that allowed mm-hmm. me to be there under you know follow, sort of like shadowing Clifton, and that yeah. was how I was able to get my minimum requirement of hours so that I can join the local 600 on my own. So um, that's how we met, and we had to um, I had to live in moved to Pittsburgh for like six six weeks, two months, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was like two and a half, man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's where we met. We met on set, and um, we clicked instantly. You know what I mean? But I remember one mm-hmm. of the first things you told me was like you had this strategy on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Yo, bro, that's <laughs> genius, man! Please, please talk about that. But talk about how you, um, you, you, you built your contact list. I thought that was really cool." Yeah, so I think, um, but I, you know, again, marketing and getting people out there, getting to know the people who, who can hire me. The same thing that I applied, the same thing that I did when I was in college, I applied when I was now approaching 30 years old. I said to myself, I'm always looking for jobs. I think everybody looks for on LinkedIn for a job. And I found myself like, okay, uh, let me become a photographer for Netta Porte, or let me become a junior photographer for this particular, or Macy's photo studio and such. And the thing is, is that you're always going to be vying for a position or for a job with like 20 to 20 to 10,000 different applicants. How do you make, you know, how do you make yourself how do you separate yourself in that sea? No matter how big your name is, like in the town that you are from, like it doesn't mean anything, it, you know, because these these companies are getting so many applications. They might look at the first hundred or the first fifty, and then like, yo, we need to make a decision now. So if you're fifty-one or if you're a hundred and one, you're screwed. So. I realized, or I thought to myself, um, it's not about getting the company to recognize you. And everybody likes to tag the company. Uh, and sometimes that works, like whether it's social media, like to tag the company or mention the company. But I'm like, you need to research who the gatekeepers are in these companies. And what I did is I, um, you, instead of looking up the companies that I wanted to work for, I started looking up individuals who work at the companies that are related to the job that I perform. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Hey, stop looking, stop trying to be, stop trying to like be a photographer for Netflix because first of all, that job doesn't even exist. Mm. All that is, all that is outsourced and contracted. So you need to look up the people who are responsible for hiring photographers at Netflix. People are responsible for hiring people at Hulu, HBO, NBC and yada, yada, yada. Um, and on top of that, like you just mentioned about getting into the union, there are certain jobs that are union and certain jobs that are non-union. And um, some networks do have staff photographer positions. So one thing about me is I often post, because I know that a lot of people are looking for jobs in photography. And I remember when I used to look for jobs a lot, and would have loved if somebody could like give some information about that. And what I do in my stories, um, Instagram, I often repost a lot of jobs that I found that I have alerted 
alerted me on on LinkedIn. So, you know, for example, CBS News, it's a non-union job for a photographer, but you can become a staff photographer at the news company um, and shoot for, let's say, CBS This Morning with Gail King. You could shoot on that show, which is an Emmy-nominated and Emmy award-winning show, um, which I have a, which I have worked on. But you can you can be the staff photographer on that show, let's say for a year or two, and you would have accumulated the appropriate amount of days on set mm-hmm. to join to join the union after, and then you can decide: hmm, Do I want to be a union photographer? and work on all different types of sets, or am I cool with having my nine to five um, job at CPS and, and still doing what I love. Yeah. And that you can, you can make the decision from there, but everybody likes to just try to go after what's glamorous. Right. So, but I'm like, sometimes the opportunity is right in front of your face. I was just advising somebody that I knew. I was like, yo, you shoot a lot of sports. You say you want to be in the union but you shoot a lot of sports. You should be getting all of your, you should be utilizing your relationship with the NFL. And because those are, those are union jobs and you can just say, uh, but the photographer position isn't, and you can just, um, well, not just, but you should be trying to get hired by the Jets, the Giants, the Atlanta Falcons, whatever team it is, try to get, uh, again, research the people who's hiring for um, these creative roles, show your work, and then they often will try to hire people on a contract. But I know some people that eventually became staff photographers for these sports teams. And this was, again, this was five years ago, like, like or, or five, you know, five, three to five years ago. The world has changed since then. It's way more content, it's way more content driven. I remember when each football team, American football team, had one photographer. Now it's like four photographers on the on staff at, at these at these teams because it's so content driven. So there's so many opportunities, but you just have to change your approach mm-hmm. and and perspective on how you're looking for a job. So again, to answer your question in short, after that long one was. You know, utilizing LinkedIn to find the gatekeepers. Don't look for the job, but find the people who are responsible. Because the thing is, you look for the job, you get the job, you become a number at the job. The job lays you off like they're doing mad people right now in the world. And you're screwed. But if you look for the people, when, when, when you do right by people, in most cases, sometimes not always works, but when you do right by people, those people remember you. And when that person leaves and goes to another company, they usually like to call back the same people that they worked with in the past. Yep. Hey, I just went from I just went from uh, CW to Apple, Apple TV Plus. I have a really great photographer, Idris. I worked with him at at at, uh, at the CW, and he loved me. I mean, I loved him, and he loved me, and he's a great photographer. I'm going to bring him with me to Apple TV. And now you, you, you get more opportunities because you invested more in the people, right? Mm-hmm. You invest, you invested more laterally than, you know, upwards. What's up family. If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating 
or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. I think it's also what you're mentioning is um, LinkedIn as as a as a marketing tool, and yeah, I feel like I've been I've been promoting LinkedIn as like my go-to social media for a while um, mm-hmm. because, uh, like you said, you, I might meet somebody in Company A, and then we both move on to Company B, and but we stay connected. Right, so if I move from Netflix to Apple, I'm still connected with everybody, regardless of where they work, and yeah. and, and it's easier to share information and to share contacts on LinkedIn. And I also feel like when when people are logged into LinkedIn, they are they're basically tending to their profession. They're, they're thinking about the next step, and if they're thinking about you know, how to make this project happen or who's the best people to hire for this job or whatever. And I feel like LinkedIn, I mean, um, Instagram is one, you know, we're not even going to get into the algorithm and how that's changing everything, right? (laughs) But even before this algorithm came around, you know, a lot of photographers, we, 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 we talk about we can make one of our best images ever, right? Like, we set up all yeah. the lights and come up with this crazy concept and get hair and makeup and ah, all this stuff, right? And this is one of the best pieces that I've made. I put it on in, on Instagram, and somebody might just be waiting across the street at a red light. They'll see the image, double tap it, and move on. And I'm like, yo, I just spent, like, that's the best thing I ever did. And you just double tapped it, and it kept it moving. Right? <laughs> like, it's, so, it's so fleeting, the experience sometimes. But I feel like on LinkedIn, people remember and, and, and sort of keep track of who they know on LinkedIn, you know. So I hear I, I love that you broke down how you use LinkedIn and you, you're focused more on the people and not the actual company, right? Because the people are going to want to promote themselves at that job. So they're naturally going to bring you into their company if they're interested. But if you focus on the people, right. you know, that's the... That's the um, that's the best way to go, man. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. How did you go from being the hottest photographer, dopest photographer in New Jersey to like being on set, being like the the um the photographer for Wildin' Out? Right. <laughs> so um at that time, uh, as I was building, you know, when I graduated college, I was unemployed for like eleven months. And I was struggling, you know, like I was unemployed, like I didn't get my marketing job. I didn't get my industrial design job after college. You didn't go uh, pro. I was, you didn't go pro I, I didn't go, right. <laughs> I didn't go pro. Um, and I was definitely like becoming like depressed at the time because of that. And I remember, you know, my mom was like, yo, you can't be home sitting around like this. You need to get up find a job because there's just no way that you're gonna be doing this you like even if you're even if you have to go work at mcdonald's in the meantime you better go and get start handing in some resumes and i was like dang um and i and i 
yeah you know like it hit me like and it was one of those things i know we can get into a long conversation about college but it was one of those things where i'm like yo my degree is really not helping me like every time i tell people i went to njrt i'm like oh snap that's what's up but like after that nada and i walked into mcdonald's which was literally uh a three minute walk from my house maybe less maybe maybe 30 seconds but i was i lived right next to mcdonald's and i walked in asked for asked for a uh a uh, application and then i went into the bathroom literally looked at myself in the mirror and i was like i cannot work here uh, and there's nothing against anybody who works there but i just know for me i could not because i knew who i was and i knew where i was i knew where i'm supposed to go in life and i was like i just can't let that happen um so I eventually drove around town and I found a job as uh, I found a job or I walked into uh, to BMW, the dealership, which was right next to my house as well. And I went in, came in with like the ill confidence. I was like, I, I, for, I forgot what I said, but the my the, the, the sales manager, who's now a great friend of mine, he was like, oh, all right, you got a job right now. Like, I sold, like, and Just I, like what I didn't, yeah, he's like, yo, come in Monday. You start Monday. And it was like, it was like straight out of a movie. But <clears throat> what I didn't realize was that was my first, like, taste of selling myself and being a salesman, uh... which is, which is also kind of related to the whole marketing thing, which is like what you just said, like, there's something like aside from being a, a good photographer, like I also have that other aspect. And I mentioned this because that was the origin of like me knowing how to be great at relationship management and selling. Um, eventually, uh, as I'm, you know, shooting, as I'm, as I'm working there, I'm also shooting. They, they found out that I'm a photographer, I'm good at it. So I started taking pictures of the inventory. But then I was enjoying photographing the cars way more than <laughs> selling the cars. And the, the vice president of the company noticed and he let me go. And he's like, hey, he's like, he was like, yo, your heart is more a photography kid. Like, um, you're, you're nice and all, but uh, we just can't have you on board. Like, your, your heart is more a photography. I was mad at him. I was like, yo, I need this job. Like, I have nothing. <laughs> and again the hustle spirit came after or came upon me <clears throat> and i went to new york city and oh not even that it wasn't even the hustle spirit i got a random phone call from i got a random email from a phone uh, from, a, from a photographer named alexi lubomirsky famous fashion photographer one of the best mario mario testino's uh you know, first assistant back in the day, and now he is a star himself. He's like, hey, Cliff, are you still available to be uh, an intern for me on a photo shoot coming up? I was like, what? Yes, yes, I, I absolutely am. Uh, jumping back real quick, in my senior year of college, I sent out 30 emails to the best photographers in the game in the fashion world and was like, hey, I'm available to be an intern or assistant. Wow. And nobody, nobody got back to me for uh, 12 months, for a year. Alexi Lubomirsky got back to me a year later. 
it turns out to be a photo shoot for Avon Cosmetics and Milk Studios. I go there. Oh my gosh. I go there in a in a in a blazer, a dress down shirt, <laughs> jeans, and and like uh, some you know nice shoes. I'm like, I roll up. I'm I'm excited, and again, I have no clue about the fashion world. I just know it's fashion and glamorous. I get there, yo. I get there with those clothes on and with my iPad. I had my iPad, bro. I was ready to show. I was ready to show my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I get there. Everybody's dressed in black, looking looking miserable. It's five in the morning. Everybody's mad, like that is early. I'm over here excited, like I'm about to get signed. I'm about to do something in fashion. And they're looking at me like, "Yo, what's this kid doing?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm today's intern assistant." And then they were like, um, "Yeah, so you are like really dressed up. So why don't you just go ahead and handle like some of our gear orders?" And they're like, go downstairs to the equipment room and ask to get dog ears and clamps and corners. I was like, you want me to ask for dog ears and corners? He's like, yes, that's what it's called. Just He's like, just go down there and ask. They'll know what to give you. And I was like, sure, whatever. <laughs> so they realized I'm very green. So I eventually just become like a PA to help out on set. And the, the shoot is successful. It goes really well. <clears throat> Uh, we're at the we're at the bar in Milk Studios in, in Manhattan after it's over, and I was like, "Hey, I'd love to do it again, Alexi." And Lexi's like, "Hey, so I'd love to have you again too, but you're you're very green, right? So we want to get you some experience on set. But before you do that, I think you should just get around the culture and get around the business. So um, I need you to send an email to." Um, to 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 Rossi, who's the owner of Milk Studios, tell them he said, tell them that tell him that Alexi sent you to to get a job at Milk Studios. And I said, bang, and I finally got a job. I sent the email on uh, maybe Wednesday. I had an interview on Friday, and then I got the job on Monday. I started Monday. Wow. When I when I when I showed up to the interview, I had a full suit on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they was like, yo, what is this kid doing? The person that interviewed me was literally in a black t-shirt and black jeans and a beanie on. I had no clue of just anything, but they're like, this kid is clearly here to work. Like he's, he's ready. <laughs> wow. So that, that was that. So I have to mention that because again, it comes from, you know, the way I was moving comes from a lack of knowledge and I needed to get experience, you know, working in the industry and, and there I would then work at Milk Studios, get my get a whole bunch of experience and and relationships. And then I went and worked at Adorama uh, rental company. And it was there where I actually got to take out gear and practice um and practice like with the gear on the weekends. And that was where I really got to hone my skills as a photographer and, and learn. And once I I was about to leave Adorama. Um, I met a client at Adorama who told me that they had a photo studio in the Jersey City area, and he he wanted to let me manage it. And I was managing it while I was working at Adorama, and then he had to let go of his studio. And then I eventually said, like, I'll take it over. And I got my studio. I came up with a 30-page business plan. Like, I was very serious about 
um, doing this. And I quit my job at Adorama. I took on a $2,500 a month studio. Wow. Um, at, a, at, a, at, at 25 years old. And I was like, let's do this. I know everybody in the business. I worked at Milk. I worked at Adorama. <laughs> I know I know all the... I was like, I know all the clients. I know all the people. I'm going to get everybody to visit here and to rent for me. And I and I made that studio really nice. Like I, it looked like it would have been like Milk Studios' cousin, because I was I I had all those experiences leading up to it. But what I didn't know was how much twenty five hundred dollars a month really felt like. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was also I also got that studio at a time when a lot of people in the fashion world started. Um, trying to like not pay for studios and try to barter. So I found myself bartering a lot with like various companies, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, L, blah, blah, blah. And my bills start piling up and I eventually had to let go of the studio. Horrible time in my life. I was, I felt like a failure. And um, so I, I had to let go of the studio. I eventually lost it. And then two weeks after I lose the studio, I get a call from Nick Cannon's folks. Yo, we're looking for a photographer who has a studio to do a music video shoot for Nick. Um, we need the photographer to actually take photos, but we need, it would, it would be ideal if the photographer had their own studio as well. Wow. I'm like, yo, this is a big opportunity right now. And I just let go of my studio two weeks before. Um, so I hit up my, my neighbor who was in the building, my, my neighbor for the studio. Uh, his name's Evan Rogers. He used to be uh, Rihanna's photographer and videographer. Um, and he's super good. He's, he's actually still doing big things. Like, I love this guy. But I asked him if I can borrow, if I can use his studio and act like it was mine. <laughs> And he's like, yo, bro, absolutely. He let me do it. He shot in there. Nick loved working with me. The people that he was, the the, uh, the, the talent that he was with loved working with me. Um, I got to name them. Hitman Holler, Charlie Clips, and Conceited. Um, you know, three of his artists and three great guys as well. They loved working with me at the time, too. And then um, they just kept calling me back for more stuff. So I'm, I had to mention all that, you know, all that previous stuff, because that was the journey to lead up to the Nick situation. You know, everybody sees the Nick situation, but didn't know, like, the, the losses that had to happen right before and didn't know, like, how it even got to the point where Nick would even notice me. Mm -hmm. But it was like it was the whole having the studio and marketing myself as a photographer and people thinking that I still had it. And then losing it and then luckily a great friend like Evan Rogers was there to to help me out and kind of impersonate or, or act like I had my studio and uh and then eventually I would get Nick to uh you know Nick hired me and and we did a couple of photo shoots I think we did that photo shoot first in the studio I think the next studio the next shot the next photo shoot we had was in his house like Nick really took a liking to me and, and um, or not, uh, not even, not, I shouldn't even say that. It was really my friend Jordan, who was his Nick's DP. He kept pressing Nick, like, yo, you really got to hire Cliff. Like, he's good. I promise you, he's good. 
and Nick would agree. And then we did a photo shoot in his house. And then we just kept doing more shoots. And then after that, um, the opportunity to shoot for Wild and Out came about. And I wasn't a union photographer, but that is a union set. So I came on the show as Nick's uh, personal photographer. The show still had their own uh, union photographer by the name of Zach Zilgard, who later became my mentor. Oh, that's what you and my bro. Yeah, yeah. Zach was the original, or Zach. I don't know about the original because I think Michael Greenberg uh, was a was the photographer for Wild Out before. But Zach was Zach was the photographer for Wild Out, and he saw me and how I was moving and such. And he took a liking towards me and, and really put me onto game and taught me about stuff. And then um, he eventually had to leave Wild and Out for like a bigger job for like AMC. I think it might have been like Walking Dead or something. But he was, you know, he, he had to leave and he told me about it. And then the opportunity for me to shoot uh, for Wild and Out came about. Um, but I still wasn't union. So. They hired me, and then we realized, like, I had to join a union, and then I, I later was able to join because I had enough days mm-hmm. on set to make it work. Like, for, like I, I met my prerequisites without even knowing it. Yeah. Because you have to do either 100 non-union, you have to either do 100 days on a non-union set within 365 days, mm-hmm. or... Or thirty days, thirty consecutive days on, 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 one. on it. Yeah, uh, and I don't even know if it's thirty consecutive, but it's, it was just thirty. So it worked out where I was just like, because um, that year that I was on Wild Now as Nick's personal photographer, we did three seasons in a row, wow. or not in a row, but we did three seasons. So we, I had a lot of work, and it just so happened I got my days because um, each season was about eleven to. 14 days long. So yeah, I racked up my days and I was able to get in, but that was pretty much that. Yeah. That, that is how I got my foot in the door with Nick Cannon and the wild out crew. And, and that was my first taste in entertainment and television. And, uh, yeah, ever since then it's, 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 it's and here we are. Oh yeah. And, and it's been, I mean, since we met on a set of archive 81, it's just been a steady incline, bro. Um, so, yo, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to see everything that you've been doing, man. I'm proud of you, man. I think Thank what you. you're welcome. I think so, you mentioned a few things that I just want to um, just highlight, right? So, in case anybody missed it, you so you you started out doing all of this fashion, this fashion stuff, the fashion work, right? Yeah, yeah. You were like the king of New Jersey, man. Like. <laughs> the, the Tony Soprano of photography, right? And, yeah. And, and um, the Antoine Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then you had an opportunity. Yo, so then you took a risk, and you yeah. you 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 got this studio, twenty five hundred dollars a month, right? Yeah. So, when the opportunity came to photograph for Nick Cannon, like you were already ready. You had all yeah. of this lighting and fashion experience. You had took this risk, right? $2,500 studio, you gave it up, but you had made contact. So this goes back to your people skills and learning how to just 
make connections, right? If you just went yeah. to the studio and just stayed in there, closed the door, and didn't get to meet anybody, you would have definitely missed this opportunity because you wouldn't have had anybody to, to go with, right? So there's a few things that you did to position yourself to be ready for this opportunity when it came to you. You know what I mean? I think people need to understand that. Like, it all comes from positioning yourself to be where the people are that you want to work with and and, and making sure that you are prepared, you know, with the skills, you know. So you did a lot of those things without knowing how it was going to come together in the end. But when it did come together, you were ready. And I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely the case, man. I think, um, you know, everybody knows the phrase, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. But um, mm-hmm. it really is a, it really is a thing yeah. uh, when it comes to when it comes to the art of photography and actually the craft or the craft of it and knowing how to manage a camera and settings and knowing angles and lighting and such, uh, because you know, for a while, I was only good at being a studio photographer. I didn't know how to manage street photography and and and, and ambient lighting and outdoors work. But um, I had to work on that. And it's just like you work on the craft. But I remember even even talking to a photographer. Um, his name was Miguel Reveriego. He was a Spanish um, photographer, and he was telling me how it's like, he's like, yo, man, photography now is like 70% um, relationships and 30% photography. Mm. Like 70%, 70% business and 30% photography now. And that hit me. And I, he told me at a time when I was really, when it was only 100% photography. And I wasn't really considered, like, wasn't really thinking about the business side. But now as I get older and I'm working in the business, like you realize like if you want to do it at a certain level and you want to be ready for these opportunities when somebody comes around and, and wants to bless your life and give you an opportunity, you have to have you had that you really had to have been doing the leg work, the groundwork when it comes to relationship management and such. Um, and even just understanding like how to talk to people, right? Um, when, when the, when these opportunities come up, you need to, you, you need to be prepared for the conversation because, mm. because there's the conversations is what's going to get you to be able to perform your craft. Um, so you have to be, you have to even be ready for the, the actual talking part. So that's great. And I, I wonder if you can do a little bit of role playing, right? So like, mm-hmm. I get your number. Say you're an up-and-coming um, portrait photographer. And I get your number. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Cliff. Uh, and you're in the beginning, right? You're still trying to figure stuff out, right? Like, what are some of the talking points that you include when you're speaking to a prospective client? How do you sell yourself? Yeah. How do you get them to believe in you and buy into your, your skill? Right. So, like, I mean, for those who are starting off in photography and want to just get, like, basic um, basic skills and how to, you know, manage uh, inquiries, uh, first and foremost, it's, like, just thanking the person for reaching out, right? A lot of people tend to forget that and just jump straight into business 
you know, they'll usually get an inquiry and it's like, hey, like how much for a four look photo shoot? And it's like, well, I like the old me would have said like seventy five dollars, but you know now or what I would encourage people who are new or people who haven't really thought about it is like you need to first off just thank them for even reaching out because if you're an artist, there was a day or or weeks or months or years when nobody reached out to you. Um, so you start off the conversation with gratitude, right? Because obviously that's the first part of just a conversation. Hey, thanks for reaching out. Appreciate that you're even considering me for work. Mm-hmm. The next step is just starting and just asking questions, right? Like, hey, I know you said that you want to do a four-lip photo shoot, but can you give me a little bit more details on the project? Where are we shooting? What's the what's the background of the uh, you know this particular shoot? How many models are we dealing with? Is hair and makeup going to be included? Are we shooting indoors? Are we shooting outdoors? Is a studio already booked? And so on and so on. A lot of times people reach out with in vague, in a vague way, and it's our job to really bring them back in and ask those questions or pull those answers out of them. Because oftentimes a lot of them are not prepared. Um, which is why you have to cause you have to bring them back and have them go back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. So, so that whenever they're reaching out to you, um, you have those answers because especially, I mean, as a, as a experienced photographer, you don't want to go through this, but newer photographers often go through this where you, you show up and everything's different than what you spoke about. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you want to, you want to, you really want to make sure that we manage you manage expectations before yeah. doing a job. That's um, I think that's a day, bro. <laughs> right. I mean, and like this is going back to me having that eight-hour photo shoot with a friend in my house. Mm-hmm. It's like we didn't manage those expectations. I didn't ask those questions. If I asked all these questions, not only will it help expectations on my end and, or create expectations on both of our ends, It'll also make the client realize, oh, this person's serious. Like, mm-hmm. I can't just come, I can't just come to them with this like, uh, you know, old school folk. Like, you can't come to me with that bubblegum stuff. Like, you know, this is this is real deal. So you can manage your professionalism by asking simply asking more questions. Now, you ask questions that are strategic. You ask questions that are actually related to the job. You know, I'm not just saying just ask random questions because you don't want to come across dumb to your client or you don't want to come across not knowing what you're talking about. But, um, you know, do your own research online as to like preliminary questions one asks a person uh, to get more information and details about a project. Yeah, it, it sounds like what, you, what you're referring to is um, there's a stage of, uh, I guess, like pitching clients or even just trying to understand the scope of work i think it's uh, referred yeah. to as qualifying you need to qualify yes. the um, yes. <laughs> the, the, the client and you do that by um you know asking these questions that help you understand what it is that what what the services that you're going to be providing and and you're basically di- diagnosing the client's needs by asking these questions so 
you know um and sometimes this helps you to avoid taking on a client that you don't think is a good fit a lot of times especially right. in the beginning we just like we'll take everything every anything you want me to bring my camera cool i'm there I'm there, right? (laughs) And and as you get as you get a little bit more experience, and you realize that um, what you're doing is is worth way more than fifty or seventy five dollars, you start understanding like there's certain jobs that you don't think you're a good fit for, but you won't know that unless you qualify that client and ask these diagnostic questions. Yes, that that is major. I like that you mentioned that. Like jobs that you're not a good fit for like unless you're really hustling and you just absolutely need every single dollar um i think that every artist needs to understand the the jobs that they don't want Mm -hmm. Uh, because i think you know for us especially five to ten years ago mental health and preserving one's mental health wasn't a wasn't really a focus <laughs> but now it is something that's highlighted more and i'm like you know saying no is way saying no to jobs is actually way better um, because you one it saves you on your energy so that you can't have the energy for the job that you actually want yeah. but then um but then the other part is sometimes it saves you from experiencing relationships that you don't need to have. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was young and just trying to get my name out there and saying yes to everybody. I did some photo shoots with people that I probably like would have never just even wanted to even be around or hang out with, let alone, you know, again, a young artist before I had my own photo studio, I was shooting in my mom's house. There was times I had the hood in my mom's house, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the suburbs of Edison, New Jersey. And I had some folk, you know, questionable folk in my house. So, <laughs> like, like seriously, it, it was wild. So, like, but that was because I was saying yes to everything. Now, the thing is, there's pros and cons to that, obviously, because the more you say yes and uh, the more, you know, more people will see your work, you know. But you have to understand the parable of, like, being, you know, a farmer and sowing seed and making sure, like, obviously not every seed is going to grow. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you stop throwing seeds. So, you know, you have to you have to pick and choose those battles wisely. And you don't know which seed is gonna sprout. Exactly. So that's um, you know, you shared some stuff that I didn't that I, I didn't know about you about how you got um how you got started and how you were able to, you know, evolve your career. So it's pretty dope hearing that backstory. Um mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um set life like what's it like being on set like for me i remember when i was about 19 years old i was a i was a pa a production assistant on uh, some spike some spike lee films i was a pa on summer of sam and i forgot i forgot the other one but my one of my friends in high school his uncle was um assistant director on um for 40 acres so he got me and you know some of my other friends uh pa jobs and that was like my first experience being on set and it's one of those things where i'm looking around at everybody everybody knows what they're doing everybody's good at what they do and i'm sitting there like how the hell like if i didn't know if if my friend's uncle didn't do this how would anybody else get here to this set you know what i mean (laughs) and so being on set as a unit photographer right 
it's still one of those things where a lot of people have questions like, how do you get there? How do you get there? Right. So I wonder if you can just share some, um, you know, what your experience is like when you first got to set. What are some of the things that you felt like you had to pay attention to? What are some of the mistakes that you made? You know, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to quickly go back to what you were saying because you were like saying how um, you felt like everybody knew what they were doing on set. And I just want to say that is uh, that is sometimes not the case. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you would you would you you definitely know this because we've both seen it where. Uh, people like to act like they know what they're doing. So they just like, I think, you know, I think it's a New York thing, especially like we're, we're, we're told to act like to, to, to look busy, <laughs> <laughs> look busy. Just like it don't, like, whatever you do, don't look like you're not working, like do something, pick up, pick up something, move something around. And I, I realized that there's just a lot of people who do that. And when I came on to set, so archive 81 was my first scripted, the set, the, the set that you and I worked on was the very first scripted set uh, that I ever worked on. So understanding how to move on set and it, it, which, which is funny is that you and I were both learning. Uh, I think you came maybe two weeks after I did. So I had, I really like had to like really pay attention and really try to like learn as much as possible so that by the time, you know, you came, I was like, hopefully I can help out if you got any questions. But it's just like we were both learning. So I think, you know, when you jump on your first set, it's like you obviously have to, like, really soak everything in. Um, I think the biggest thing that especially uh, I know that grace is often offered in a lot of other businesses. Um, but in television, when when you only have a certain amount of days and, mm-hmm. you, you know, like we, we do have takes, you know, multiple takes, but like the key, the, the biggest thing that is emphasized is like, hey, like if you do something wrong and somebody tells you you did something wrong, you shouldn't be repeating it again. Like it, it, you, sh- you should have done it once and we, uh, we, we, we understand why you did it and did it wrong. And there's no like, hey, there's no more redos after that. Like I need you to get it after the, the, the first talk. Yeah. So that was one. Um, but to get into the second part of your question about like how to get on set and whatnot, like aside from doing the 30 days and, you know, whatnot, or the hundred days, um, even during the hundred days on a non-union set, right. Um, what I was actually told by a couple other industry professionals is if you want to learn, especially to be a photographer, a still photographer on a movie set, you should, um, ask to join on your local college's um, theater and arts program. So us being in New York, yeah, so us being in New York, uh, NYU, their students often do a lot of projects and are they're really making films like while in college. Um, and oftentimes with a lot of photographers who want to join the union, they they... They jump, they, they email NYU's uh, theater program and they offer their services to them. Um, and a lot of times NYU, I've heard NYU has paid photographers to, to come. And because you're, you're documenting, you're obviously documenting what the current students are doing. But a lot of these current students are going to be somebody big in the future. So you, are, you really want to go to like a really well, well-known like theater program 
uh, theater academic program in your area and offer your services because that's where you can learn how to move on set, like not getting in the way of your actor's eye line, mm -hmm. knowing how to like knowing how to crouch or be on the left, right, or center of mm -hmm. the camera operators and such like that. Um, there's obviously like a lot of books on this. You know, I don't have any specific book I would recommend just yet, but um, but that's one of the biggest ways that I think that people can get experience and to learn what it's like to shoot on a scripted set um, is by working with you know the the kids and and you know the the local um, students in your area at well known theater programs. Uh, but as far as uh, you know, the, you know the other part of just working and, and how to get on set um, is, like I said, you know the networking aspect and such. I, being from New Jersey, even though I'm only like at the time when I was living when I was living in Central Jersey, I was like an hour away from the city. But if you're if you're if you're ever in a big city or or an area that has a lot going on creatively, like you should be attending every single or a lot or a, a lot of the events uh, especially meetups i remember making fun of kids like my friends going to like meetups because it just seemed corny to me <laughs> but i didn't i didn't really understand community when when that was happening right and i i low-key wish i can go back in time and be a part of these communities because um some of the relationships that I have now, I'm like, I wish I met you earlier, you know, because uh, those are really good. And that's where they share a lot of knowledge. People share a lot of knowledge and get creative together. And you start to pull from each other different ideas and everybody grows. So I think that those are good, especially when you, you know, are trying to get on set because there's probably going to be somebody there who's on the same journey as you or who already is there. And you can get that knowledge from that, you know, from those experiences uh, and being in those environments. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. Yo, I'm going to say it louder for the people in the back, man. Did you hear what this dude <laughs> said? Like, if you're interested in getting into uh, the local 600 to be a photographer on TV and movie sets, to sign up at your local colleges and universities, video mm -hmm. and film programs. That is some real clutch advice right there because... Yeah. This is two years ago we were trying to get into this, right? And mm -hmm. had yeah. we known this information before, might have made our it might have made our journey a little bit shorter. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> the journey would have been shorter. We would have made more money earlier in our life. Yeah. You know, like because this is my thing. Can you imagine if somebody told me that when I was unemployed for those eleven months after college? Just go shoot at the local um, university and and <laughs> yeah, build your portfolio. Like like yeah, because I'm like I'm 22 at that time. Mm -hmm. I would have been shooting. I would have been shooting with people my age. Yeah. Um, 
and growing together with them. Yep. Now, if I try to do that at 33 now, it's a bit different because I'm I'm 10 years older than most of the people, but um, it's still very possible. You just have to humble yourself and understand like we're all in the boat together. Yep. But I'm like at 20 at 22, if I got my days, my 100 days working on, you know, with these kids in school, um, I could have been in the union way earlier. And, you know, for those who don't know about union uh, work, it's one of the best work because you get, you know, your medical, dental and pension benefits. But then also being in the union, you get, you know, your 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 work is capped off or there's a there's a floor to how much your position can make. So these protections that we have from being in the union stops us from getting played like when we were full time freelancers, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, so those days for anybody listening, those days of you working for seventy five dollars like me when I was young, um, you know, if you get in the union and you show that you can actually be in the union, uh, I'm gonna get to that in a couple seconds. But it's like you can you can, you could avoid getting you know lowballs. Like there's there are certain rates that you can have that 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 has to be. Um, given to you in your position now before i move on i want to talk about this you know joining the union thing and money right because um, a lot of people have asked it and i understand that everybody wants to be a photographer and, and, and whatnot but um i think we i think people have to be careful about the whole joining the union thing and 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 what, it's it's weird like i feel like yes we all deserve medical dental and benefits and such but i also feel like you have to also assess your 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 um what's the word you have to assess your motive behind doing anything in life not just joining you but everything assess your motive a lot of people join because or a lot of people want to join because they see like you and i or other photographers like eli joshua or quantrell colbert talk about um you know, working with Eddie Murphy or, or, or you know, like big names, right? Um, Giancarlo Esposito, you know, Zoe Saldana, like all these people. People see us do that, and it's like you just want to join because, like, it looks glamorous. Yeah. But there's there is a lot of work. There's a lot of responsibility, especially because there's only on most sets there's only one photographer on a set. You are responsible to capture the imagery mm -hmm. of the project that is going to support publicity and marketing yep. campaign and publicity and marketing campaigns for that project. Yep. So if that pro if that project's a seventy million dollar series or or movie or a three hundred million dollar movie like a Marvel movie, and you're the only person in charge of getting the still imagery to support marketing and publicity campaigns, that's a heavy weight of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I highly suggest if you are not a responsible person, if you're not there yet, if you're not someone who's organized, I would not suggest just jumping in and trying to join because you see Idris doing it. You know, like this is, it, it's very fun. The job is extremely fun, but I, I, uh, I, I'm just mentioning this because I see a lot of people try to like urge people to join the union. 
uh, and I saw I saw a photographer do it. I'm not going to name who it was, but they were pretty much like encouraging people to join the union, and they were kind of like making the block hot. And I was like, yo, yo, like, I need you to relax because. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Like, it just me, you and I were the new kids at once, you know? So I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to block no one's blessings, but I am trying to ask people to think about it Mm -hmm. a little bit more thorough before you try to go after it. Because um, all that, you know, losing, First of all, I'm just telling you from, and I can say this because I'm telling you from experience. I have had hard drives break on me where I only backed it up once. <laughs> I've deleted by accident the memory cards. <laughs> on on with, jobs with, that you were working on? Yes, yes. Uh, like, and th- this is early in my career. Um, this is definitely before uh, you and I met. Oh, but I'm just I saying that. Meant this was on like some oh, yeah, shows yeah, that yeah, you were yeah. working on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was one. I will say it was actually wild out, and I thank God for their grace towards me because they realized like I've probably done a lot more good for them than that one moment, mm-hmm. you know, where I, I, I screwed up. But like all those mistakes that that we be making, you know, in our youth, and we're making because of you know lack of knowledge or making out of ignorance, that has to stop before you join this business and this role and this particular union, because like those are just mistakes that are unacceptable when you're talking about rollouts and campaign rollouts. Right. So, you know, I just urge anybody listening, like, yo, like if you're very serious, like I need you to look past the glamour side. I need you to look past, seeing um the way that i go about it or way that it just goes about it or way that any other our, our our fellow colleagues and mentors go about it because it looks pretty obviously and that's our job our job is to make things look amazing so that people are interested and buy you know like like it's more than just photography and i think that's what i'm also urging people to realize uh, as photographers we're not just there for the art like now it's now it's business mm-hmm. It's 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 my job to make whatever project I'm on looking uh, to look so good that it makes other people want to watch it. And those views become dollars and dollars become revenue and revenue becomes profit. And then, you know, seasons are renewed Mm -hmm. or canceled because of because of our contribution. Like, yes, it's also based off of the actor's performance and camera operator's movements and the DP and the director. But the images are just as important, especially when it comes to these publicity and marketing rollouts. So there's a lot of responsibility on the table. There's a lot of money on the table, too. Photographers are well, you know, well compensated. But like the responsibility can outweigh definitely outweighs all that. And you just have to make sure that you're, you're mentally prepared to take that on before uh, joining, you know, the, the union. I mean, I, I co-sign everything you just said. And um, because when I was on set, I was definitely, uh, there was some, there was some nerves, but you know, with the nerves, you start to um, become more organized and you start double checking, triple checking everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think you don't ever want to get to the point where you just feel like, yeah, cool, I got this, whatever. 
I think yeah. I think for me there's always a, a certain level of I don't want to say nervousness, but um I get hyper aware of you know um being organized. And this times I I still make mistakes, right? We all do. It forces you to um just be a lot more organized with your work. But speaking of, you know, being able to work with some of these like like big names and and you know um the photos really playing a huge role in in marketing these shows and these movies like especially if you look at how like I love how Netflix redesigned their um their user interface where like the they have like the main key art and then when you click on that show you start seeing images from the unit photography yeah and so like that is some of the work that like cliff cliff does you know um the the images are being used in more than one place it's not just a poster that you see on a, on on top of a taxi on the side of a bus or in or billboard it's also being used in all their digital products and on their streaming devices as well so these photos really do go a long way. And speaking of billboards, man, like I see that you just had a few billboards up in Times Square, bro. Like, let's talk mm-hmm. about that, man. Yeah, bro. It's it's been a um, it has been a beautiful journey, man. I I I think I had my very first experience with a billboard in Times Square three years ago, and. It was cool. It was with my friend. I think uh, I believe it was Justina Valentine, and and her and I did a project together. I didn't even know it was going to be a billboard, so that was a really cool experience. Um, but it was it was my first taste of like seeing my work large scale presented uh, on a major platform, and I was like, "Yo, I love that feeling!" Like everything that I've been working towards in my life, you know. The other thing, too, real quick in passing, my dad, when his job, his nine to five job, he used to work for Time Inc. Um, so I was always around the publishing world. His office was like right next to the Sports Illustrated swimsuit offices. Mm. So so back in the 90s, when it was when it was take your kid to work day, I was always hanging out with like supermodels and, <laughs> and, and, and the editors, editors and whatnot. And and even <laughs> you want to talk about the 90s, like it was the 90s when you can smoke in the bathroom. And wow. they had magazines. So, so like, I remember his coworkers, you know, this is the 90s again, coworkers of his giving me uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit calendars, <laughs> you know, as a as an eight year old or whatever. Like, hey kid, here you go. This is good stuff right here. <laughs> take that, <laughs> take that, take that. But 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 that that was the world I came from. So I was always around publishing and, and entertainment and fashion. And so, for me, when a photographer has their work portrayed or displayed on a large format and and, and around the world, that was an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. So my first taste of that was three years ago. And I think within the past two or three, I think it was yeah, in the past two or three years, I've had 11. I believe 11 it's 11 now. Yeah. My guy. Um, so it's just, it, and it's just beautiful because sometimes you know what's going to happen. And then sometimes you 
you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, so when the times when you do know what's going to happen, those are considered marketing uh, shoots and it's and it's a whole different budget and the budgets are beautiful <laughs> but um you have to really know how to negotiate and sell and that's why i think my experience as a salesman helped mm-hmm. uh, i think as you get to a certain level you might even want to imp- implement a, an agent mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that you're represented well in these situations because you're dealing with doing the labor hiring assistance um and all that and then you have to talk about licensing fees which is like how long the you know particular organization can use that image and and show that image and then you have to talk about renewing licenses licensing fees because sometimes these projects are so big that they're used for many years to come so that was my experience for the past three years and for me 2023 this year like my goal is like all right like you did 11 in three years let's do 11 in one year Mm. you know yeah, man. Um, and that—that's my goal. You know, I—I—that I, has been my goal since the start. You know, another thing in passing. You know, I remember doing a really bad job. Uh, on a, uh, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't shooting. I was assisting, but I remember I had a very bad photo shoot experience with a friend of mine, and so much so, like the client, the the client and the photographers that hired us. They, I, we thought they hated us. They were cursing us out in Spanish, you know, because they're they're from Spain, like European Spain. So like, they were cursing us out in Spanish, and I was like, oh my god, we suck. And me and my friend, we decided to, you know, after the shoot, it was we we were shooting somewhere near Times Square. So after the shoot, let's just go to Times Square and sit and look up at the billboards. Mm. And we sat. It was it was becoming nighttime, so you start getting that low sun. The, the 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 billboard lights start to get brighter and really soak it in and me and him you know jared my friend jared we both looking at the at the billboards like yo we have to make a decision right now are we going to quit or are we going to go after what we can that we what we know we can do and one day our work is going to be up here as well and just for i guess clarity that was in 2015 or 16 that happened so it's like it's it kind of happened a a while ago but not really you know Mm -hmm. like 2015 and 2016 we were talking about dreaming about having our work up and then my first billboard happens you know not in less than 10 years and then I eventually have ten more after that. Just so just needed that one to, to kind of kick things off. Yeah, you needed that one. You needed that taste. It made me realize that, um, you like I can I, that I had the skill and the craft to be able to get to to do to to take it to that level. So my goals started changing. You know, from you know what, I'm not doing no more headshots. No offense to people who do that, because that's obviously a very lucrative business. But I was saying, like, I'm not going to do no more headshots or I'm not going to do any more Instagram Instagram photos for people. I was like, my work is going to live large scale and live more than just one day on social media. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember, I, I say this to people, I said, you know, especially when 
during the early, not early, but I want to say maybe five to 10, between five to seven years ago, I was like, yo, I used to post photos and think I was hot. And then Kim Kardashian would post something and everything that was posted five minutes ago is forgotten. (laughs) So I was like, no, I'm not trying to be forgotten anymore. No matter who else, whatever, what, no matter what anybody else in the world did that day, I want my work to still be relevant and I want it to mean something and joining the entertainment business and the motion picture business gives artists and photographers the opportunity to be a part of projects bigger than themselves and contribute in ways that are very meaningful and impact not just the nation uh, but the globe because i've had a couple i've had like the billboards that i've had in times square those same those same images were 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 living in other major markets around the world and I just didn't know it mm-hmm. or, or not, or not just not. Sometimes I didn't know it, but sometimes I just didn't see it because I'm not over there, yeah. you know, but I, like, I know, like I've, I've had friends send me uh screen or, or iPhone photos of my work up in different cities around the nation and globe. So I was, it was really cool to experience that. Yeah, man. That sounds like a, a amazing experience. And I imagine you and your friend, uh, you said Jared, yeah, Jared. Yeah, Jared, Jared McGriff. Um, it's almost like the team that loses the Super Bowl, and they, <laughs> they, they that that player that stands on the field and watches the, the, other get the team rings celebrate, <laughs> and they're yeah. just like soaking it all in, like yo, that yo, that's gonna be me. Like I'm yeah. not gonna have this feeling again. I'm gonna like I'm gonna soak this in. I'm gonna watch them celebrate but i know like my time is coming i'm gonna be on the other side next time you know what i mean it seems yeah, like that's yeah. like you kind of put yourselves in that that mind frame to get it you know yeah so uh so you have like your goal of trying to trump 11 uh billboards in 2023 right so what are you doing yeah. to stay inspired um so w- one thing that i'm doing to stay inspired is just making sure that I- i'm you know, as I mentioned earlier, is I am I am really trying to increase my my activity in communities, in the photo communities especially. Um, I'm trying to increase my presence and my my contribution, not just being in the room, but actually contributing to the room with whether my skills, talents, abilities, or ideas. Um, to various different communities because it's not always just about being in the photo world. Like sometimes I met a photographer that made $900,000 that not just made, but makes $900,000, about $900,000 a year doing pharmaceutical photography. And all he does is photograph the new drugs and uh, the brochures that these pharmaceutical companies send to doctors and various other clients around the world. There's so much money in pharmaceuticals. What makes you think that you, as a photographer, you can't get in on it? So I urge people not to just get involved in one community, but try many different ones because you might find your niche somewhere in there. 
So um, for me, you know, to get to those goals, it's it's networking more uh, outside of just the photo community. Um, the biggest thing is, uh, and I'll, I'll share this with you guys because um, this is like a current struggle or current hurdle that I'm going through. Um, people that I grew up with or or grew in the business with, whether they're my age or older, they when they last saw me, they saw me as one thing. And I'm like, hey, I'm not just that. I'm actually more than that. But every time that these clients hire me, they hire me or they try to hire me because now I'm saying no to these jobs. But they keep considering me for stuff that I no longer want to do or do. You've outgrown. Huh? You've outgrown those those type of jobs. Yes, exactly. Um, so for 2023, it's more about, for me, I am focusing on making sure that people see me uh, or the people in power that hire see me the way that I see myself. And that doesn't come spontaneously. That doesn't come by accident. That comes with intentional work and that's a lot of marketing a lot of publicity and a lot of doing doing the actual work um so like i said to you minutes ago i did 11 billboards in three years um even though it's across three years that's actually a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things so people that only used to hire me for doing events four years ago or five years ago, they're they're gonna have like I still listen. I still have friends hit me up to do like stuff for their 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 newborn <laughs> at the level that I'm at now. Like and it, I'm not I'm not saying like I'm the big thing out there, but it's obvious like what I do if you follow me or know about me. But I still have people that hit me up to like, yo, can you shoot my like my newborn or my or my, you know, my daughter's sweet 16 because they, because <laughs> they don't know. That. I get that. Yeah. Like they, they don't know. They just see you as a photographer, but they don't know like, like the different types of photographers or just observing. They observe your growth. See, they don't, they, they see my growth, but they, I think people like to hire us for these jobs because they they want to it's almost like a flex like yo i just had clear prescott or i just had Idris solomon I, I do think, do my <laughs> maybe, maybe but I, I i think it goes back to your first point where i don't think people really understand um yeah you know, oh yeah yeah because yeah I, I still get hit up to do like birthday parties and <laughs> right and you know i have to you know i have to tell them i said you know i i really don't that's not the type of photography that i do but if yeah. I, but I know some young, I know some folks who, 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 who would do it. Yes, And that's their speed. And I think it actually makes more sense to work with somebody who is, you know, a little younger and a little hungrier, who that's the type of, they just want to do anything that makes them feel good about being in this yeah. craft, right? And there's nothing wrong with doing any types of that, any, any of these types of photography, but... Yeah, I think uh, you know, I am not an event photographer. Yeah, um, 
So that's not that's not, and I'm not like a birthday and a, and a family photographer. Yeah. So yeah. those yeah. jobs are just not going to resonate with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, there was a. <laughs> I was watching this movie the week of where Adam Sandler, and Chris Rock, and and the Adam Sandler's wife. Um, she was just so out of touch that she asked Chris Rock's character, who's a cardiac, who's a cardiac surgeon. Um, she was just asking him just general doctor questions like every time she could she's like yeah something's wrong with my eye like do you think and he's just like yo like i'm a doctor but i'm not like you might want to speak to like uh whatever an eye doctor like i i, I focus on hearts but that's literally the thing where pe people if people don't just do it to photographers and luckily i understand that because i would have took offense to it every single time but like you said it's like um we, you know, we get these opportunities and, and people hit me up for that. And I realized, I was like, you know what? I think I just, I think it's on me. I actually have to do the, the work to make sure that these people see me the way that I want to be seen and, and understand who and who I am and what I do. So, um, that's, that's my, that's my goal for 2023 so that I can continue uh, on the path that I want to go on. And, you know, again, like I've had clients that have hired me for a really good job, but it's not where I'm at anymore. And I'm like, Hey, like I need you to elevate. I need you to, I need your perspective on me to change. So you can't force, I mean, it's not always going to work, but what can help make that work is marketing and publicity. And, I feel like photographers, depending on what level you want to go to, because not every photographer wants to do it. Some, some people just want to do it for the hobby or some people just want to do, uh, I shouldn't say just, some people want to do it as a hobby and some people want to do maybe baby photography or, or um, Sweet 16 photography or event photography or they want to be a fashion photographer. Whatever you want to do, it's going to require your uh intentional your intentional work to um to get people to see you the way that you want to be seen and that's yeah again like i said it's through marketing it's through strategic marketing it's through strategic publicity uh not everybody can 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 get a publicist but there are different ways to get your name out there and um you have to do those things to start kind of really you're, you're training people to see you different and that comes by constant exposure put in front of your face like how are we trained to all know you know i don't know if everybody believes this anymore but it's like in the 90s and early 2000s whenever we saw golden arches we knew that meant mcdonald's and we knew that it meant some hot golden salty fries and we all, you know, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of us loved it. And whenever we saw those arches, there would be like a an impulsive desire to just get some fries. So how can you do that for yourself now, right? Because other companies are doing that to us every single day. But now I need to do something where whenever people see my name or whenever people see me, um, and who are in positions to like work with me on big campaigns and such, 
how do I get them to desire to work with me and not even realize that it was strategic, like in the work that I was doing for the past three years. Hmm. So that's, that's where I'm at right now to get to that, uh, you know, in terms of getting to, like you said, if I, if I did 11 in three years and that, how can I do 11 in, in, in one year, it's going to come from serious strategic and intentional work. In an organic way. <laughs> this is Clifton Prescott, and you're tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.